Welcome to Talking Pictures. My name is Christian Gensel. I'm a filmmaker and film journalist from Salzburg, Austria. Talking Pictures is a podcast series in which I talk to the people who made some of my favorite movies. Today's guest probably needs little introduction. Filmmaker Jan de Bond became famous as one of the most creative and exciting cinematographers of the 70s, 80s and 90s. He started out in the Netherlands, where he worked on Wim Verstappen's controversial film Blue Movie, and quickly became known for his collaborations with director Paul Behoeven on movies like Turkish Delight, Katie Tipple and The Fourth Man. He continued working with Verhoeven in America on Flesh and Blood and Basic Instinct and became a sought-after DP for blockbusters like Die Hard, The Hunt for Red October, Lethal Weapon 3 and Flatliners. But Jan de Bont is also a very talented and unique director in his own right. He made his 1994 directorial debut with the wonderfully tense action thriller Speed, which he quickly followed up with the amazing adventure disaster movie Twister, which was written by Michael Crichton and his wife and produced by Steven Spielberg. He also made the much maligned sequel Speed 2, which is actually a very fun action thriller if taken on its own terms. He directed the Spielberg-produced horror movie The Haunting, which features one of the greatest horror houses in recent horror history, and the video game movie Tomb Raider 2, which features numerous inventive action sequences. I spoke with Jan de Bond about the making of Twister and his philosophies of creating realism on screen. Our conversation took place in connection with a video featurette I produced for a 25th anniversary re-release of Twister for a German label called Turbine, who created a beautiful media book issue of the film with a new Dolby Atmos and Auro 3D soundtrack. We also talked about Jan's casting choices, his admiration of Stanley Kubrick's movies and much more. Please forgive a couple of moments where the sound quality isn't ideal, but I feel the conversation is definitely insightful and also entertaining enough to ignore a few background noises. If you enjoy my conversation with Jan de Bond, please visit www.talkingpicturespodcast.com to check out our other interviews and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Also, if you speak German, make sure to visit www.lichtspielplatz.at and check out episode number 50, which features an in-depth discussion of Twister in German. So with no further ado, here's Talking Pictures with Maestro Jan de Bond. It's been 25 years since Twister came out, so I'm curious what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you look back a quarter of a century First of all, I can't believe it's already that long ago. <laughs> it's shocking always when you, because it feels like you're making a movie, it's such an in intense work and it stays with you for quite a long time. So it, I personally don't feel it's that long, but but I actually, I heard it also from Universal and, and from Paramount, who is actually going to re-release it as well, the same, I guess, as you there. And they, it's a big thing in a way that Twister has gotten so much um fans in a way because this summer there were there were like a lot of newspapers had you know because of the pandemic they had those virtual film festivals in which the 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 viewers could select what was the best movie of each particular year and they show every week um like uh, the next year so of that particular year um it was in new york chicago did it la times did it And they were very successful. There's like like a couple hundred thousand people watching each time. So Trista was voted number one in New York and number two in LA and number one in Chicago, which was I was totally surprised by. And it's like I'm pleasantly surprised, I have to say. And and that it's still 
brought good memories to people and that they all came to see it again or went to see, you know, either on the screens or they also had even screenings in certain places, exterior screenings, outdoor. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was really quite amazing to really, uh, it's a good feeling that it's still there, that it's still actual and still re- relates to, to the world we live in. Um, why do you think the film has stood the test of time? Why does it have such longevity? I think because it is something we um, any that we're still dealing with nonstop, on, on, and now especially as climate change has more and more impacts on the world, not just in the United States, but and in many different forms. But the amounts of of twisters and tornado, le- the level of it has increased every year. The damage also has increased every year too, and the same right now with with there's, uh, the the hurricanes. They have it's the, the most busiest season this year ever recorded, which is just stunning. And there's five different hurricanes on the way to the United States on the East Coast. Five has only happened once before in 1820 or so. So it is, it is uh, uh, as climate change is becoming, has become more meaningful. And, and all we hope now, of course, is that, that politicians react to it and industry especially reacts to it. And in that regard, it's, it is, um, I think, you know, has a still meaningful voice, that movie. It's like, how can we get more information, you know, to prevent as much damage as possible? And it is a still very relevant subject matter, I think. Mm-hmm. Now, what I find interesting about Twister is that, I mean, theoretically, it's a disaster movie. Yeah, that's but... unfortunately, that it falls very quickly in those categories. <laughs> there's only a limited amount of categories. Oh, okay, then there's, it's just a lot of, a lot of accidents have disaster. <laughs> a lot of accidents have <laughs> disaster movie. Um, earthquakes, disaster movie. It falls immediately. There's, no, there's not enough categories to to justify actually where they should go and it's like it's a little bit it's kind of silly but it is as unfortunately a film say <laughs> yeah i feel it's it's more of an adventure type of story and in a sense a monster movie would you agree i i totally agree with that it's definitely an adventure movie and it's definitely a monster movie in a way because it is like there's ultimately nothing is bigger and more dangerous than the power of nature Nobody can fight that, and nobody knows what to do against it. You know, it is so overwhelmingly uh, intrusive in our lives, and every year more so, that it has a more and more face that we can that we recognize, and it's not a face we like. You know, it's really a monster face, and it looks like that too. And and that was a little bit the the whole idea behind it. I never was wanted to make a disaster movie because that's. To me, it's not necessarily so much fun. It is really about uh, showing the incredible power of nature and how incredible limited we are as human beings to deal with that. So in that regard, yeah, I think it is definitely a monster movie. It's not Godzilla. Don't, don't mistake me, although I love Godzilla movies. But it is, it is, it is, it is it's, in a way, it's, it, it has the same idea a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is a, a kind of adventure movie where people actually seek out the danger they're encountering. Because I was thinking of, of other disaster movies, and I can think of no other disaster movie where it, the characters are actually looking for that type of danger. It's like having the towering inferno and, and not talking about the people inside the building, but people outside who are actually looking for buildings that are on fire. 
Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of funny, actually. Yeah, but it's true. But you know that those chain, those tornado chasers, as they are called, they do exist. You know, because I have to say that it is incredibly overwhelming if you actually see it happen. I was lucky um, that we are lucky in a way, maybe. I mean, lucky for me, not so lucky for the people who were involved, is that to see how a... And this was a relatively small twister, a small, that how it can change a street within seconds. It happens so fast. It is like all those houses are there and, and a minute later it's all gone, completely gone. It's like as if high-speed bulldozers come at you and just without any, any thought, just plow it over and make it disappear. It is, it is stunning. And it's really also what happens in the sky. It's like when you see that cloud coming at you and it almost feels, it almost, it's always coming straight at you, you know? It's really like, and you don't know how to escape. You know, where you go, where's, where's a, you know, where's a real monster, you know? You go inside a building, you run away, you go underwater. None of that would matter for, for, this, for this monster. There's no escape possible, you know, instead if you can prevent to be there and, and, and get warned in advance and, and get the hell out of there. But um, seeing it and hear the sound of it, it is really hard to make it come across how that feels. And, and when we were doing the soundtrack, you know, we made all kinds of tests how it, how it would resemble the sound I heard. And it is kind of amazing. We use sounds like um, buildings destroyed, but also lion roars, trains, I mean, a mixture of hundreds and hundreds of different sounds, because that's actually what it sounds like. It is a mismatch of thousands of sounds that are coming at you at a super loud level. That is actually quite an amazing view. So I can understand why people want to see it. You know, Mm -hmm. there is something to it. Like, you you also want to see the biggest wave and the biggest shark. shark. We'd love to see the biggest shark, no? And and things like that. And and it is, and then of course you, it, it creates so much adrenaline in you. If you sit in one of those chase cars, and those guys are have a little bit of experience, but they never know exactly where the tornado is going to go. But if it comes at you and there's no side roads left or right, and suddenly it changes its direction, you know you freak out. And they they trying to back up as fast as they can and turn around. And, and try to outrun it. And that's probably the only thing you can do and you can outrun it in a car if you, if you are smart enough how to do it. But you have to be totally experienced. But it is a monster that comes at you. There's no doubt about it. I think there's something very humbling about encountering a force of nature like this. Exactly, exactly. And that is a little bit what I felt uh, that, uh, that experienced. And, and, and that's the whole idea I want to make, uh, wanted to come across uh, for the viewer is that it is like you feel suddenly so little and, and so t- uh, small in this world and with so little impact and there's nothing you can do about it and it just you know comes at you and and and, and then you know and, and the good thing with twisters is one solution that that might help you to survive doesn't stop the destructive if you can go underground and is if it's covered 
if he can do that, then there's a, you have the best chance to survive. And we brought it up many times in the move to make people, to teach people a little bit also how you could survive it. But quite often there's not even time for that, you know, because quite often it's in, in the night, middle of the night and, and when, when, when the, the, the situation is most suited and it's, it's, it, is, it comes out of nowhere and it's almost immediately there. It is awe-inspiring and it is frightening. And it is really, you feel like, kind of completely like, like an ant compared to that gigantic storm. I think that you um, tried very much to recreate that kind of feeling and awe also on set for the actors that they would have to um, sort of experience that. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with this. I found an interview with Bill Paxton where he said I, he didn't act in Twister, he survived Twister. Yeah, but the, just... I love Bill Paxton, so I, I, and he's kind of right, I think. But the way I saw that movie is like quite often actors always have to respond to things they've never seen, you know, because they're shot off camera, they're never there, and they never really know what it really means to be close to it. And of course, we cannot put actors in. In, in the way of a tornado or a twist, so that would be no film company or insurance company would ever let allow, allow us to do that. But so I really wanted to, to feel what the power of, of what this, at least some part of the power of a computer of, of that twist is. And we brought in massive wind machines. I mean, we had two huge Boeing 747 um, engines mounted on, on huge tractor trailers that created was they were some of the wind makers and you cannot stand up in that i can guarantee you that and also then this rows of this gigantic propeller um wind machines as well and the same time debris has been thrown into in front of those wind machines so that flies at you because that is the big thing it's like it's not like standing in a wind or like trying to survive you could not stand upright anyway but if you have to really it is getting even a piece of grass and it flies at that speed in your face hurts really hurts so i wanted to get a sense that they knew what they were getting into and that i really wanted them to really respond to what they feel and see and not uh, not acting i really didn't want best acting to that is always over the top it's always too much or, or, or sometimes it doesn't happen at all and then it becomes like bland i wanted to get a real sense of having those actors be participating a little bit in the event itself and not just uh, and acting almost immediately the, the moment you turn those wind machines on and um paper and, and little debris very soft debris but goes into those wind machines that flies at you and suddenly you can't see uh, and you really don't even know where you're going it is an amazing experience i always do it first myself to make sure it's not dangerous but it is very impactful and and i mean for instance like the scene where Bill Paxton is in, in, in that hailstorm uh, going up a hill towards the tornado, that is real hail. See, that is not, there's no visual effects hail because many filmmakers would go to visual effects immediately. Now, this is real hail. We had two tractor trailers, gigantic with massive blocks of ice uh, driving in front of them with wind machines on the truck as well. And it goes to grinders and spit it out and then land on the car at speed. So, and I, I mean, I, I, again, I made him very aware that, you know, I didn't do that with, with Helen, of course. I didn't want her because Bill is a little bit 
can respond a little quicker and and he loves the danger he wants to really feel it and at one point of course those machines are not fine-tuned grinders you know sometimes bigger pieces of hail come out and there was a, a and that's actually in the movie where he gets hit by a bigger piece of ice and, and if you, it's, it's like you have a rock thrown at you at high speed which is really so he got a little injured, but he said, no, don't stop, don't stop, keep going. He got, because the adrenaline it creates in the actors, you cannot replace that. You cannot act that. It's a real thing. And that's why, to me, that movie is so effective, because we didn't rely only on visual effects. Most of it was special effects. And, and when things, when he, they drive on the road together, and things fall, those combiners, those big, when they fall, they fall from the sky, that is not a visual fact. These are real combiners hanging from helicopters, falling from the, the sky onto the road, but not never knowing exactly where they go. So, of course, we had also a stunt driver with us and, and who could take over and quickly respond. But they also, because you cannot do it many times, so you also have cameras on the actors at the same time to really see both, because that, then it works. If you separate it, you'd never get the right response. And so it was like to see this, this massive machine, boom, and then boom, and, boom, and that, was, that is like, I mean, even being there for the whole crew, it's like, wow, this is really amazing, you know? And that happens in real life, of course, too. It's not like... Most of the of the scenes that are in the film are based on things I've seen in in documentary footage of those tornado chases, and there's lots of it. And a lot of it is not so interesting, but there are some amazing pieces. Flying cows is from that one of those documentaries where a flying cow came through image like for a split second. I said, "Oh my god, we have to have that." And this was. And then, and then it came back again. So we make it into a little bit more of a scene, but it is, these are all real events. These are not fantasy events. These are actual scenes that have happened. Rolling House has happened. I've seen it myself on, on documentary footage. And, it's, it's, and if you can do this with real effects, the, the, the effect and the response that people have, the viewer can see that. They know there's a com- complete different emotion on the screen when it's a visual effect or when it's a special digital effect. The, when it's a special di- digital effect, you automatically make a step back as the audience because you know it can never be real. It's too, too fantastical or it is also completely different, dimensional, di- a dimensional difference between the flat digital effects and the more 3D uh, effects on camera. And that is uh, uh, those, those those visual effects that is has which uh, visual effects that starts to become such an important part of the movie that I think they made the audience combine it's a real sound. They get now a much better of a sense that this was you know a real a real storm a real and real uh, and of course the, the tornadoes are the twisters that we couldn't really thus you cannot we have a lot of. Um, footage from second unit in it that was storm chasing at the same time with a crew with two crews and 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 they ran all over the state arizona and nebraska where it takes place and where they always take they always tend to happen and they found some they were able to get some real shots and but they had real chases with them and knew what to do and they had a one from the NOAA, and the national uh, organization that tracks tornadoes and, and scientists that really knew what to 
expect. And so, but those things, the real shots that they have in the movie are always better than the shots you do digitally later. No matter that they look good, then they are again kind of copying as much as possible what they did look like on, on, on the different size tomatoes, like a F1 till an F4. And, 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 and or an F5 even, that is, it is all based on, on real things. So we didn't make it up. And by that, it becomes more real, you know? It's really, it's quite amazing that, that how, how the viewer, when we had the first screening, they, they physically reacted to the movie because they get a sense, this is like, oh my God, this is like, you know, this is not just a, like you said, a disaster movie. This really, they really felt the power of of those that, that those uh, t- uh, tornadoes can have. Yeah, I also think the the realism that you're going for is the reason why the film is so exciting and still is so exciting. Um, also, I know that on, on some of your audio commentaries, for example, you talk about how you always try to uh, get the actors to do certain stunts so that you can connect them to uh, what is happening. That is actually, and, and I've done that always in my life, even for other directors, and when they have a, a, a stunt, it is, there's such a set system in Hollywood that um, actors should never be uh, in close proximity to a stunt. But to me, it's that exactly that, that makes it real, that you get a sense, because the reaction of an actor when they're in a car driven by a stuntman that you can see and going to it and getting an accident and being able to film them at the same time as the stunt is happening, you can never get. They cannot act that. Doesn't it's impossible. No actor can do that. And the danger is a little bit is that you know the studio was really, really worried about it that an accident might happen and we had a lot of security people on the set from safety people from the studio. But the actors became aware how well it worked. They said they could have never done this, even because the, 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 that's, that split second of an accident happening or a, a tanker trailer falling from the sky and exploding, that is so real. And that is that was also a real effect, by the way. It's not a stunt, a, a digital effect. And they felt the physicality of it. Is You cannot tell an actor how to do that. You cannot explain it even. And on, on regular, the, the regular type of action movies, it's always you this and with a, the double, and then you cut back to the, to the actor, like as if he's in another world. And he is in another world because he was never there and he never can really respond. He never felt the adrenaline. He never felt that energy and the air pressure that comes towards you. And all those things will happen, you know, give for for a kind of response that is kind of a really unusual and, and very real. And um, for instance, like in, in speed, like Keanu, maybe a lot of actors don't like to do this stuff because it's, it's dangerous and I don't want to hurt my face. I don't want to carry any scratches on my arms. Not in real life, they always happen to them. You know what happened? You can get scratches many different ways, but that's not the point. The point is a little bit is that once the, I got to, I was talking into to doing it and 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 I use very low level effects and very and I also showed it to them first. That's the big thing too for an actor. So when you know when Cam didn't want to jump for instance from the, the Jaguar to the bus, I did it first myself. And I'm kind of a you know I'm I'm not a stuntman. I'm not very physically 
uh, gifted and in the way of <laughs> athletic. And to do that at speed, it looks dangerous. See, my gift is I can make it look dangerous, although in fact it really isn't as much as dangerous as it seems to be. Like stepping from two cars, from one car to the other car at speed, it's almost like stepping. You just don't look at the ground, you know, because the distance remains the same. It's only like three feet. But if you look at it, if you focus your eye fakes on the ground, then you can do it. So I taught them how to really refocus on the place they're going. Do not look at a road passing by below it because then you might, if you, you know, no, no, no experience, you might, you might freak out a little bit. But then, so what happened then, of course, in, 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 in several movies is that when it's finished and it's done and it looks great, like, wow, that was great. I'll do it again. And they said, no, no, you don't have to do it again. This was really good. <laughs> you know? and, and so then they started, some of them, especially with Bill Paxton and, 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 but also quite a few other actors, they kind of understood why I'd ask them to do it. And, and always, you know, with, with, again, with safety in mind. But it is, they understood why they cannot act out. They, because they felt it happened to them. They felt it happened. The, act, the acting came from inside, from, from the physical mind, the body. And there's, and there's nothing they could do to stop it even. And that's the moment that makes those connectors things. So if you go from, from and then the camera looks forward and see something and you pan to the actor and you really, that's a real reaction. That's non-actable and therefore so much more effective. And I always try to do it. This movie is just Paul Verhoeven too. I always, you know, I, I got a lot of freedom working with him and he always trusted me in how to do shots. And he always, even in dialogue, quite often the reaction of a person is more important than the person as a dialogue. So I was on my own feeling, intuition. I went some to the other side or back and forth, and 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 never we never made other cuts, and it worked so well because the res the response was actually more telling than the actual saying of the dialogue, and that is that is something I've kind of tried to do my whole life, even in other movies like Black Rain and things like that as a, as a cinematographer and, and, and Hans Fredrik Tauber, it's a similar kind of sense. You always see that camera, you want to do that. And especially also in Hans Fredrik Tauber, you can see because it's a really tiny place. I mean, like it's basic, uh, uh, Hans Fredrik Tauber is, is like being caught in a place where you cannot get, cannot escape from. And that pressure, to, feel, you, to really make it come across, you have to feel that it is small. You have to feel that it's the actual size of a submarine. You have to feel that people, you know, passing each other almost have to touch each other. You have to feel that the, the reactions are physical. If somebody starts sweating, you're really next to him. And, and all that kind of stuff is, to me, tells more, is to help to tell the story much better than any, any you know, like... Um, studio acting or so. In fact, the method acting is a different set sense of acting altogether. It's like it becomes actually more acting. I mean, if you have this, if you look at all those method actor movies where it's really intense, that is real acting. That is actually, that is like 
I'm I'm a total total uh, a director that is against method acting. I think it's so in the way of the movie. And you said a mood and a moment and the whispering and the whimpering. What the hell is he saying? You can't hear it, the actor, and it drives me crazy. <laughs> you know, I really want to see the eyes, and I think if if a viewer cannot see the actor's eyes, knows that response and. And the and the reality and the the, the the response to the to to the content of the scene comes through the eyes and 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 but if you have also if you had like oh, well, well, like the James Dean I said oh, well, 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 well. it's like really <laughs> I mean they're nice movies don't mis misunderstand me but it's totally not it's not that I would think it's Oscar worthy but who knows I'm you know everybody has different opinions oh, I see what you mean. I think that the, the, the what you describe um, is the effect is sort of an emotional realism, um, which I find it, interesting. It, yeah, yeah. And I find that in, in in your movies a lot, just the little details. Like um, in in Speed, you have that moment where Keanu asks uh, Sandra Bullock, "Are you okay?" and she says, "No." Um, and, and and there's another moment like that in Twister uh, again. Bill Paxton asks, um, "Are you okay?" And she says, "No, I'm not okay. This is not okay." <laughs> and and I kind of feel this is an emotional realism because I never see people in those kinds of movies react the way that normal people would react. You know what exactly. I mean? Yeah. yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean, and I think you have, and you're absolutely right. That that was the whole point because. You know, when, when when normally in a movie when somebody asks, how are you doing? And then you get a whole long response about how they're doing, but not how they're really feeling and, what, and what's in going through their mind. And, and there, there's always, you know, either an anger, an immediate anger, an immediate fear, an immediate, immediate emotion that is totally lacking in those responses. So... There's, there's things that are on purpose to exactly show that. No, I'm not goddamn okay. I mean, like, really, that's, that's how, how Helen responded. And that was the exact thing. And, and if you, because of having done a lot of the stunts herself as well and being so much involved in all the physicality of it all, see, no, this is not okay. This is really, you know. <laughs> and, that, and as an actor, when you never went to any of those real emotions that they, you, the, the, the counterpart talks about, it is the, 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 it's always an acting, a very narrow, focused, thought about response. And I don't like about, about thought about response. They have to be immediate and they have to be feel real. And there has to always be a touch of emotion in it. I think the, the the idea of realism also ties in with your casting, which I find interesting. I mean, Twister is a case in point with Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt, who are not your typical Hollywood leading men or women, but also Keanu and Sandra or Lily Taylor in The Haunting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, all of yeah. them are very down-to-earth people in a way. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I'm glad you, you, you mentioned that because it has been, in all these movies, an incredible fight to... It is would have been, uh, for instance, like in, in Speed, there was a, you know, they wanted Julia Roberts instead of Sandra. They wanted, and then, and I was like, oh my God, can you imagine Julia Roberts driving a bus? I never believed that in a hundred years, you know. I mean, she's a nice lady and I worked with her, but that's a nice actress, but but not for this. Mm. And and I, I wanted a person who you could believe would actually drive the bus on a regular basis, you know, and... And, and, and for instance, all the extras in that bus, I don't know if you're aware of that, they were all cast from real bus 
going people. Like, so they go to work every day and they go back. And so they all know what it is to meet, to sit on a bus, how boring it is, but also how they do things that they would do themselves on a bus. So they read or they fall asleep and they read or they're annoyed by somebody next door. They, all their responses are so, so normal. And, and, and the good thing is that because they were sitting, have, have sat on a bus so many times, they didn't mind that they had to sit in this bus eight or 10 hours a day for filming. They were used to it, to a way. So, so all their responses are so natural. And then if this would be like just regular extras you hire from a company, it would have never worked. They would be like, when is lunchtime? When is this? Those people on the bus, they bring it their own, they always have something to snack with them. All of them, from their own home. They bring it from their homes. They don't wait for the catering. No, they have it. So they have their own little things. And it is so great. That makes it so much more interesting. And, and Keanu, of course, too, there was like, Keanu Reeves as an action hero. He had never done anything even close to that. And, 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 and it worked out perfect. But you have to, the key thing for me to, to, to make that work is to have him get physically involved in the making of the movie and not just have stunt doubles take over. And then he could forget about the actor because Keanu tend to be a heavy-handed actor sometimes. He always quotes Shakespeare on the set nonstop. Makes it so far away from speed and so far away. It's like it's 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 like make, making making static statements and 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 there was nothing static on speed. It was always moving and always. I mean, uh, there's no stopping anywhere. So you cannot make those dramatic conversations with another character in the movie in that manner. So by by having him actually do things, he I was able to hold him back from becoming this kind of a you know, what he really wants. That is his dream, you know. To uh, and, and listen, good for him if he can do it. It's, but, but it wasn't good for the movie. But I knew that if, he, if I was able to get him to like it, then I think I could get there. And, and it happened, thank God, you know. He did hang upside down on the, on the cable. He did all those things. And, and he realized also that it was better, you know. He, I mean, that's a, that's a good thing that in... in, in and at the end, when it's all over, you know, there are, of course, days they hate it like hell because, you know, like the, the, the day with the hail, for instance, or so. But Bill Pex was never so proud of that day, too, at the same time. He told me so many times, it felt so good. I really, and, and it felt so good because he experienced it, you know. He didn't have to act. He really felt the physicality of it all. And it's great. And, and, and so the casting is like, Really important, and there's have been fights almost in all those movies. Lily uh, Taylor for Hanuk, they wanted also they all want movie stars. Now you know that that's how it works, and and she was perfect for that part. She was completely that person, and I loved her. And she was really, and she did everything I asked her, and was totally, you know, she's totally open, and she's very free spirited. As he's been the stage actress too, she has a lot of it. That she was totally willing to forget all that, and that's key. That's really important, you know. And then it's uh, casting is really, really important. And I really, you know, the studio, the, the producers and the studio always want to go on the heavy side, and I would like to take it way back. And and I like more like people you can believe that they are the people who they're supposed to be. So. 
it, but it's an important thing that and it has worked in those movies so i'm i'm, I'm happy that that it worked and that, that ultimately the studios that said okay 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 it worked but they really would have loved Julia robbers of course because <laughs> they could sell it better you know or or you know they or after um die art um um willis was like bruce was like always like oh you have to have him after now he's totally not the right person for this i wouldn't believe it for a second and things like that so it is it is interesting to see how they finally let you do it if you take enormous amount of time to convince them that they are the right person but that's a big battle you know that had always this and probably always will be yeah, and Twister has a has a lot of um, very good actors in the supporting cast too. I mean, Jeremy Davis and Philip Seymour Hoffman and Alan Ruck and uh, Todd Field and well, exactly, exactly, exactly. And they were all and all this um, uh, the casting Ria uh, um, Risa Bremer, who's a, a, she likes. I mean, she 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 liked it. The fact that I wanted people who I actually felt could do this could be a storm chaser could be and would behave like that and i'm a little rowdy and a little and 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 it was summer they all loved it they became their own they became a team it's really they were joking always together and roughing things up and it's like each time when i see those scenes back i'm really proud that i was able to get them all and 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 philip simon hoffman was the last one we casted because we were, you know, about to move to to Oklahoma, and we still hadn't found them. And then, and then, Risa brought in this this guy, little droopy. It just, it, it felt like it just came out of bed, and, and after a rough night. And it was like, when the moment I saw him, I instantly believed that's him. That is, that is, that is the one I want. And and then we started talking, and he was extremely nice to work with. He totally, you know, was believed in it, and. Now that's that's but that's a little bit like the, the, the like the same in a way in the cast in the bus the the extras there they were of course a lot more than extras but they were all very talented actors you know that's the, the, the whole team. Uh, one of the the actresses in Twister is uh, somebody who I think never gets her the appreciation that she deserves, which is Jamie Gertz as uh, uh, Melissa, yeah. um, because I think. Hers is the most difficult role. I mean, she's sort of the audience, um, but she's always sort of the, the, the joke is always on her in a way. Exactly. So. Yeah. No, but uh, I, I was, you know, I loved her. We became good friends in the movie because she understood what her role had to be and how important it was. And, and, and to get that a little bit, because he's, you know, she's not a, an actress who would go, you know, tornado chasing that's for sure <laughs> she has a family and kids and she really and she was actually even pregnant at the time i mean early stage sale but still she was also very impressed that if you are actually not in the studio but if you're actually on a real set in the real country in the real area where those things take place and if you have seen some of, of the, the damage that has been done that you can see that everywhere there and then with all those machines the big wheel machines it became like it started to get to her and she started to understand that this is not what she wants you know and that is exactly what the role she had to play it's like a little bit I mean, it's a little bit of a relief at, the, at times. I mean, she has to be, her part is lighter at times. But at the same time, it's like you said, it's the most difficult part because 
she would love to be a bin, of course, the same like the other guys, get excited about it. And but that wasn't a part. And and she was just perfect to play Melissa. Kind of a little sell out of out of place, out of you know, that is the thing. She really felt out of place. I mean that's what she had to play, of course, but she felt out of place with those, with that other cast. You know, so I casted it against that group of team members, which are so unlike her. And that was that made it work, you know, that's all this rough guys and and they all dressed like little bit like slops and she was always dressed neat and, and, and business like and no, I, I, I think I'm glad that you mentioned her name because she, I was, she's an really amazing actress, by the way. She's really, and, and, and I think she's, like you said, she's definitely was underrated. And so, I mean, she, in reviews at the time, she, her name hardly ever came up. And, you know, it's, it's, you cannot, you know, tell critics what to write about, but it is nice to see when they actually recognize her, 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 contrib- her contribution. I sort of drew a comparison then later on with uh, the Theo character in, in The Haunting with Catherine Zeta-Jones. And I like the fact that you, in both cases, how you handle these characters, because they could both be very stuck-up characters and very uh, you know, off-putting easy. people. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a type of person that um, often in films is um, basically the butt of a joke. Um, but here they are very human characters and they allow us to yeah. see a, a more, I don't know, a different side of these people, I think. Yeah, when I casted her and when I saw her and she's such an outgoing person and so lively and so, and I thought that I have to use that. I have to use how she is a little bit. And 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 there's always a sparkle in her eyes. There's always, and so they were complete opposites, but she didn't overplay it. So she did it like she knew when, when, to stop and then to hold it back a little bit. And yeah, I mean, they are, again, that is a matter of, those two were so good together. They're kind of drawn to each other, but at the same time, they're night and day as well. And she was, you know, she was, she's Irish and, and, and she was a party, you know, she loved to party because her brothers were there with her and, and, and we traveled with her. And she, she, she behaved like a, like a happy, party-loving, Irish girl <laughs> and and that was so perfect for the movie even though though you know they had sometimes long nights with the brothers I mean from cafe to cafe but but in a way it was really good for her because it was really it kept her a little bit in that role better it was a, it was easier for her to have a brothers there and to really stay who she was because they made her stay because they know her you know, she cannot act, she cannot fake against Mr. Brothers there. So it's kind of nice to really have her supported in a way by, you know, everybody said, why well, you have to bring the brothers here? It's always like, no, it's going to be good. It's good that she feels safe around them and that she, there's nobody is really trying to use her in a way that she, who, who she isn't. And, and that wasn't my plan, of course, but... I think those brothers there yeah, made it made it much easier for me. I think a lot of your your female characters are very resilient people, and I found an interview where you say that actresses are gutsier um, than actors. So I was wondering if you're, um, I don't know, if you, you feel a special connection to your uh, female characters. I worked on a lot of other movies before as a cinematographer, and 
I worked on a lot of movies where it was always men's movies. I mean, in a way that a woman was hardly ever allowed to get the same amount of screen time as a known or star actor. And in my experience, they were always the better actress. They were the better person on the set. And I saw that has to change, you know. And for, as you, I'm sure you know, there's like, there have been some, some big stars in, in, in Hollywood history, but the male stars are 10 times, 100 times uh, bigger in numbers and larger numbers than, than the female stars. And I feel like um, women, you know, especially women who uh, have a family life and who have kids, they are some are used to learn to uh, live and work in reality because uh, kids are tough to deal with. And to me, it's always amazing and, and how they basically also, um, when, for instance, they have long hours, it's the women who never complain. It's always the men who complain. And, it's, and that is kind of so remarkably strange to me how can that be how, how can women always portrayed as the softer version while in reality they are the stronger the smarter quite often and especially in in actors um personality and and, and individuality but i think that that um there are hundreds and hundreds of actresses that are much better than than any male actor <laughs> I, I make this, and I make it regularly, and I really, because I'd also mean it. I just have seen so much in my life and so many movies that I know it's true. And it's always, I personally always are drawn to them more than I draw to the lead actor, no matter how big a star he is. And as I can see, they put much more effort in, in getting the character right and getting the tiny little things right. They talk to me about, I maybe I should do that. And there's, there's, so, there's so much more. They also use their intuition much better. They, and they have much more better control of their emotions as well. You know, Even with males, I don't want to generalize it too much, but, then, but if you, the response in, in, in male actors always tend to be over the top. I mean, it's always bigger than life. And that is, well, actresses are much more able to have a, a much more controlled, but still deeper felt way process of, of, of emoting than, than males. But males are big gestures, angry. And with women, it's like they're really, it's, they can do it with their eyes. You know, they don't have to do in the small expression or just looking away. It's like it says more than all the big swearing and moaning. And, and screaming quite often, you know, that has been going on for, unfortunately, for a long time, is actors who start to act in a really loud voice. There's nothing that I hate more. <laughs> it is to me also, it's, it only shows incompetence. And it's, you've seen it in God knows how many movies. And I really, it totally turns me off somehow. And I think it's really a, a sign is that they are, out of control and not in control, and 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 that an, an actress would hardly would never do that. I would never have those brutal responses that male actors tend to have, especially bigger stars. And 
I mean, for instance, I mean, I don't want to, but he's a clear example. It's Al Pacino. You know, he was a really good actor in the beginning, and as his career progressed, and and he wanted to prove himself more, his voice got louder and louder and louder, and then became almost all screaming. And screaming is not telling a story. It tells only one story that you're out of control, basically. And so it doesn't tell the story that is in the script or that that has to influence people around you. People don't get a get impressed by screaming people never do never never did and will never happen they're just like annoyed by it and i i don't understand and and, and there's a lot of films that it still happens and uh, to me when the moment they see and, and and also in tv series especially tv then they start screaming loudly or they're yelling and this it means immediate to me that it's a, a warning sign it's out of control that person cannot act. That's really what it basically tell. I'm sorry I'm so outspoken, but that's how I feel. And I still feel so. I get that same reaction when I go to the theater, like the, the, the stage play. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every stage play, there's a moment where the actors have to yell at the top of their lungs. Yeah. And I just, I always hate that because I know that <laughs> it's not something that these people would do. It's just something that they no, have to, it's, it's a show-off yeah. moment, basically. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it is all it is. It's a show-off moment. But it's a, it's a macho. It has, it's all about machoism. And, and they think it portrays strengths. To me, it only portrays weakness, you know. And and when it's so loud, I really, I get taken out of the movie, out of a play, out of anything, you know. You don't, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's really, it's it's always weakness. Mm. <laughs> and now one other thing I'd like to talk about is, which is, uh, that's a huge reference, of course, in Twister, uh, but also in all of your other movies. Um, your love of Stanley Kubrick. I don't, I don't know if you noticed, but I, my, the cup that I have is a, that's from The Shining. Oh yeah, The it's, Shining. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all work and no play makes Jack a doll boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I tried to do that. And I even snook it, snook it into other movies as well. That and with little thing that I would know and maybe the director would see it. And I like a book that's clearly about him or an image or so, but yeah, I always was, and on speed, I really, I, I just told the city, I really want, you know, when the bus finally comes out of the ground, or I want to stop in front of the Chinese theater, like, you know, the most recognizable movie theater in the United States, and I want uh, 2001 to play there. And they said, oh, it will never happen, and they, they, represent, they, they released that movie. Never happened. Never get permission. Never. And actually, um, in touch with him, I told him how big a fan I was of his movies, and 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 we got to talk. And and and, and he said, "Okay, sure, go ahead." And then so, and the studio said, "No, they cannot say yeah, it's true. You you call him, and he will tell you." And they did. And so we because they said they wanted to have like an you know, an action movie on the, on the on stage. I said, no, 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 no. It has to be something very, the opposite, like distracting. It cannot be about the same subject matter. And I love that movie and, and it has to be there. And so, and then, from then on, he, he got, a, you know, the, the, the Shining and Twister was no problem. I got, oh, of course, I love speed. Do you have to do it? And so, so he was, he was um, really very supportive and I always have something in there somewhere. If you, if you, it's, not, it's more than one scene. There's always also little other things in the background that you look closely and 
Yeah, I'm, I think he's an incredible, strong individualist, and he made the movies, only made the movies that he wanted to make, you know. And, it's, it's, and there's it's such a personal and so imaginative and always held back, you know. Only You don't see screaming in his movies, by the way, <laughs> apart from maybe in Spartacus or so. But that was, he had to take that over, so that doesn't really count as much. But... But now it's always like really controlled, and 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 he's. I mean, he did something that I could never do. He makes so many takes each time to get this one thing that's in his head that he's always looked for. When he makes a movie, everything image is already in his head, and that to me, as an actor, I I know how many times can you do the same line over and over and over again. But he got, I mean, and then I talked to other people in the crew and he said, and the editor also, he said, ultimately, it still always ends to be one of the first or second takes that he uses in the end. And But he was trying to get something extra out of the actor or something, or he will, wanted to just exhaust the actor and maybe after all that, it might come naturally out of him. So he really wanted to, I was so funny when he said that. And like, I said, oh, cool. <laughs> but yes, I'm a really huge fan of this and, and, and still am. So. It's interesting because, um, I mean, Kubrick is also a very visual director, somebody who's very Absolutely. interesting to look at. And, and your, your films or your work also as a, as a DP is too. But other than that, your films are c complete opposites, I complete think. Complete opposites. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, yeah, complete, they are complete opposites. No, no, but that doesn't mean that I cannot like the opposites either. I mean, I love, I love these movies. And, and I mean, there's also something in it that really that touches me emotionally in his movies and it, it, it is a slow build to it and for me it's more immediate all the time but then when it gets there it's really meaningful and and so it, it is he gets you in a different way and i think that's really great too you know if you can do it he takes the time you know it's like really he's not worried about screen time too much which is great <laughs> It's interesting that you say it, it touches you emotionally because I feel the same and I always get into discussions with people who say that Stanley Kubrick is such a cold director, such a distant director, and I, I never felt that. Oh, um, no. Now he, get, he gets you, and uh, now absolutely not. He's a, he's a very emotional, I mean, there's the scenes of so much emotional power in his movies, and and. You know, it depends. You, you have to be kind of a little bit prepared for it because you know it's going to come and you have to see it. But if you only see, let's say, you see it only as slow editing, then you might not see that moment. You might just close it. Might, it might bypass you. But to me, they are some of the most amazing scenes, the powerful scenes in movie making. And, and that is, I think, one of its strengths, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And he's definitely, like you say, a visual director. I mean, he... I mean, his cameraman, he could do it. He could have all done it himself, you know, and he's so involved in every little, little detail in the camera, the lenses, the this, the that, the effects, the, everything is, is goes through him. And, and I mean, and, and for instance, he did that Barry Lyndon movie and he wanted to shoot at real low light levels. So they worked on lenses and they were, looked around the world forever to find us 0.9 and 1.1 lenses for anamorphic, which don't exist. It's normally like three, four stops darker. And, and 
and and it, and it worked. But he and he had one lens made as well, and that is so great. That to me it's like because that to me to him it was like. If I cannot make it look real and that it is lit by those candles and those fireplaces, then I should not make the movie. He was that completely focused on it. And and I mean you see it, it's super effective. I mean it really you really get a sense that is what they saw, that's what it looked like. And you get much more you you're more drawn in that society at the time by using a lens that can without any additional lighting. And and the only additional light that it, there was was a, more candles next to the lens, so it was like really. So it was I, I thought it was brilliant, really, really, very gutsy. Yeah, very bold it, choice, it, and yeah, his movies are full of bold choices. I think exactly, 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 exactly. Speaking of bold choices, I always found it a very bold choice to put uh, The Shining on a, on a drive-in theater screen and then sort of have it destroyed by sort of your movie. <laughs> Yeah, but I was I was a little worried about it, but at the same time I told him that it was the exact right mo movie to have there, so that the people in the movie were watching it were would already be in a mindset of coming fear, and so and then I wanted to break up that fear pretty violently by having the screen split apart and the monster comes right at the lens. And you, if you could stop the thing, you can really see at the last moment, it's like a, a full face, full close-up of uh, Jack Nicholson, like uh, the smile. <laughs> That's really, really, really... Yeah, it is. is and, and he said, no, go ahead. And, and he, knew that he knew that that I was never going to use it as a as a shock effect but that it was that it really fitted in the movie and it really does and it's, it's kind of unexpected but as they're seeing those people relax on the pickup trucks what they still did in those days watching on the big screen and to be honest i had never seen it on a uh, outdoor theater anyway uh, the the movie and it's, it's pretty it's such a different experience to see that particular movie on such a big screen it's, it is it is an emotionally different experience, and I and I thought that would fit right in with this. It's like the, it's something unexpected might happen, and and it did, of course. Mm -hmm. Well, then let's um, quickly talk about the fact how much Hollywood has changed in the past um, well twenty five years. I mean, a, a film like Twister nowadays would be done completely differently, or it wouldn't be done at all. I'm not sure. Um, what's your take on this? Now, actually, yeah, I have a definitely take on it. It, it, it. They are going to make a Twister F5 or so. I think that's in the works. At least I don't know if they're ever going to make it. And of course, it will be all digital. And it will be, to me, to make the movie digital becomes a comic book almost immediately because it will have a comic book feeling. And I think so many movies are now so destroyed by visual effects. I think they make the visual effect the main att attraction in the movie and an effect can never be the attraction it, it, that to me is a very sad situation in in today's movie making that even tv series they're having they're using visual effects now and and digital effects and and if, since when is that necessary you know but they, it is it is they save money in shooting time maybe but of course, it's not much cheaper in the digital world. It is, I mean, cheapest when we did it for the first time. But it's to me, it is 
a, a kind of leave, I always leave those movies completely cold, left them. I don't get a single emotion in those movies ever. And it's it doesn't matter how how magical those effects are. It is like it is that's what it is. It's just a magical effect made by other people. This is also a thing. It's always made by an army of people, and you are not really anymore participating any uh, in, to a degree that that you could influence it. You know, it's ultimately certain things will have to happen the way they have to happen, and. I think most importantly, I think it's it, it becomes like it makes story writing, script writing, come a little bit of a of a misnomer because they, from the beginning that that a movie is set up with becoming like a so-called temple movie or summer movie or 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 comic book movie, you know, I mean, kids are liking it because they still like. They watch um, those animated movies on TV as well, and, and fully digital games. So for that, it's not so. I, I understand why they like it, but for they ruin it. I think they will lose a huge part of the audience by the main the main viewer uh, is not interested anymore. I mean, I'm actually lost a lot of interest in seeing those, that, definitely that type of movie. So it's it's. I still see little movies. I mean, little. I mean, I see little independent movies and things like that. And and there are some really good independent series that are really much better than and that who would no, never normally never had the chance to be made. And now because of of uh, streaming, they are can be made for really low budgets. And and but they they will have a, at least they can show their voice and let their voice be heard. And. But I think it's it is a I think this seventy and eighties I think it and then it started going downhill very quickly after that I mean it's really in today's world I mean I saw Mulan the other day and it left me totally cold and I loved the animated movie I was involved in the same movie in Mulan I was there for five months and I wanted to have a much different version much more real realistic version of Mulan and not an effect driven movie and. When I saw the movie, I felt like every shot in that movie I have seen in other movies before. Either Crossing Tiger, a lot of them in Crossing Tiger, but multiple other movies, they all have the same shots, the same effects, and it and they all there's no emotion in those movies. There's zero emotion. I mean, no matter how good or the first of all, the actress, it's really hard to act in front of any type of green screen when when there's nothing around it, because a lot of them is clearly is are uh, process shots and and it is that kind of ruined acting as well by the way the more green screen there is the more blue screen it's also for the tv series it is the more cold the actors are in, a, in regards that they cannot relate to anything before before them and behind them they have no idea of depths how far away how far away the other people are and what they've done, what they are doing, and how they respond. So it is they they're completely going blind, and you cannot act blindly. That's just impossible. And 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 unfortunately, that's happening now nonstop. And studios like it; they don't care. It's an unfortunate thing, and I don't know if that can ever be re uh, recovered. I'm, I mean, only by. I think by smaller independent movies, I think that might be the only way out. I don't think, I mean, big movies are only 
money movies. They they don't care really what it looks like. And Mulan is not a really interesting movie. It's really actually boring. But it will make money, you know. So they don't care anymore what what in you know in, in the old days when and and not even that old days. There the story itself was a key element in the movie. If the story doesn't come across, you cannot tell a story and 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 um, an emotional story with basically um, a storyboards because that's what it looks like. It's all made with storyboards and storyboards is as distant as you can be from the real thing. You know? And and because in storyboards, even the acting is over the top. It's, so I'm I'm not too hopeful, unfortunately. Do you think those changes in Hollywood are a reason why uh, you've had more difficulties in uh, getting your projects? Yeah, because the yeah, because they they really and I never wanted to become a comic book movie. I, I I'm not interested. I cannot do it. I've seen too many of them, and I really feel like the, the magic of movie making is is then disappearing. The magic of movie making is not in in storytelling. It's basically in the digital world, and a digital world is a a world where there, where there are so many voices and so many people taking part in a shot. And there's a, sometimes there are like 75 people working on one shot every day a little more. It's like imagining a painting that is made by 75 people. You know, it doesn't look very good. It's like it doesn't have much personality. And that is that's what's really missing. It's going to have a complete lack of personality. Are you working on something um, at the moment? No, I just help some younger directors. I think it's it's it might be the best thing to do. And I really, it's important that that in, in the United States, especially, that also people of color get a much bigger voice in the movie making process. Latinos and blacks and this um, uh, Asian and and this we it's always been such a narrow minded wide view of the world and i think that is very caucasian a very not very american caucasian it's very different to europe europe i have to tell i have to say but it is a very limited point of view and it is basically only geared towards business and i think that the new stories the new the new worlds that we don't know anything about and it has to involve of course, uh, also women, women directors, women producers. It's happening slowly, but it's still really slow. I mean, I mean, the academy is like, is still white, mostly male, and and there's there are now they very desperate to hire more people to get more people in it, but it has to be they have to do it in the right way. You cannot just also bring people in who are not talented at all. You have to, but you have to stimulate them. You know, you have to start teaching them first. You cannot just start, uh, hire more people and not knowing how to work. I think educationally, that is, you know, they, those groups and women are, have never been involved in in film schools and and and, 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 and internships and studios and and little independent movies. It's it is it is getting better though, but it's still like way behind. Mm -hmm. Okay, so one final question, because I don't want to take up too much of your time. Um, I found an interview that was released around the time of Speed, and there you said that when um, you decided to become a director, um, it was because um, you often shot action sequences, and you sort of had the idea that you could probably make them more exciting, and that you would want to prove yourself that sort of you could do more with the, this genre. 
Um, so when you look at your films, um, do you feel that you've succeeded in, in what you set out to do? I think I did. And I think that you, that, uh, that you can, I can see the response to it in, in other movies, how things are shot. They're, they're trying, you know, definitely on big movies, they're kind of not copying, but definitely of influencing how action scenes are shot. That's for sure. And they're trying to really get the actor a little bit more involved and, and not so much of cutting back and forth. Um, there's, there's always, you know, um, a way that you'll run into limitations, but the limitations are, can be based on, on, um, not enough time to do it, not enough, um, money or the studios don't want to spend it or I understand all that. And, and so you have to deal with that because that's how life is. But I, I think that especially, but you know, like what, 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 for instance, you see, you know, in, in movies like Die Hard and Half October and, and Black Rain and, 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 and Lethal Web, those movies, if you see how they are filmed, they are already there. That, that, that it is the, the basis for all the way I see those scenes is there very clearly. And, and quite often, you know, those scenes have been shot by me almost independently from the movies, you know. There's not, uh, there's like quite often, for instance, like that scene in Die Hard where the helicopters come through the city and go to the top of the building. That's, uh, you know, that was shot in two hours, two and a half hours, and there's 24 or 26 cameras, I don't remember. And then the director, it was so complicated that the director was really, if we put him in a trailer and watching the videos, I mean, there's no way, he, because it's so, it was so complicated, with having the, the building had to be lit from all sides, the roof had to be lit, there were actors on the top, there were um, the helicopters through, the, through the, that whole area in, in, in Beverly Hills had to be completely locked off, and and they helicopters had never flown through a city, and they were totally afraid. And we got, you know, so lucky that they let us do two takes. They were freaked out after take one when they saw the helicopters way below roof level flying through the through the. And it was I, I can't understand. It is really overwhelming to see those big helicopters fly through buildings. I mean, in between buildings, it is like, and these are not visual facts, these are real, <laughs> and real noise, so the noise is like 10 times as loud as when they're up in here. So it is all like, and then all the actions had to be combined. And then, so I kind of, and I can, you know, it's, it's Paul Hovind, he always let me do that, those things through the biggest things, I can basically think those action scenes. And, because we had a very good understanding um, uh, between, uh, he trusted me fully because all I wanted to do was like not only do the best I can, but to make his movie look as good as possible and make it effective. And not only only the look, sometimes you cannot make it. It's, it's never about prettiness, no? Uh, the look of the film has unfortunately changed from an involved camera to a passive pretty image camera. And that to me, I never liked. I never, to me that's too easy. I like, I really get bored with endless, endless sunset shots and sunset. And I've like, seen that too many times in my life. It is, it is it kind of the roughness of, the roughness of life is, is not necessarily um, the most important part of life. I think that uh, 
that might be the most relaxing, but it's not how really life happens. It's a rougher world than I did, and I like it to be rougher. I'm never trying to smooth out things. I mean, I I'm purposely quite often make it rougher in the camera and in the lighting. And yeah, there's still, there's still, I still think sometimes I think at night I'm about a scene, I might have been good to do it this way and that and that scene. But I mean, that's a, it's, it's good to have this idea still in your hand. So you still, it still keeps me occupied in a way at night, but in a good way. So I'm not, I'm not really, um, I'm, I'm, I feel like I lived at the right time. I mean, at a, a time where Hollywood was more interesting still, and, and before it started being, being taken over by technology. So that was great. Some risks were still taken. Now there are fewer and fewer risks taken on, on, in studios and, it's becoming a world a little bit that lost my interest a little bit, but I still look at all the movies all the time. <laughs> so, so the film is always in my life has been there all the time. But. Yeah. Well, I would have loved to see another beyond the bond movie like stopping power or. Yeah, we had, yeah, that would have been good. It was really, well, you know, actually Mulan, my Mulan would have been so much better. <laughs> I can I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.